KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Well, it's a great rap song once said, Wake up, it's the first of the month, and I can't believe that it's March 1st already. February kind of just came and went. Where is 2022 going? <laughs> we were staring down such, such things as March Madness and, and, and St. Patrick's Day. It's also Women's History Month. I'm always happy to celebrate that. Guys, I still cannot turn away from following everything that's happening in Ukraine right now. I saw footage today of one of the latest speeches that Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, gave before the UN. And there was audio of the translator choking up translating what Zelensky had to say. The situation there is intensifying. We'll hear more about that coming up in the show. But uh, tough for me to turn away from what's going on there right now kind of hard to avoid and bring in this sort of conflict, which is now into its second week. It's just, it's a lot here. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. And of course, we're going to have the latest on everything happening in Ukraine, as well as hearing from KWW's Tim Jimenez, who spoke with a lot of people connected to both the Ukrainian and Russian communities here in the city of Philadelphia. And there was an interesting theme there that it appears just about all of them are not in favor of this war and are looking for some sort of peaceful or at least civil resolution to all this. But as we also mentioned, we're kicking off Women's History Month, too. And Beyond the Bell Tours is putting on a Philadelphia feminist history tour here in the city. Now, our own Justin Udo talked with Rebecca Fisher, the co-founder of Beyond the Bells, and why she thinks that the city really needs this tour. You don't need to spend a lot of time in Philly to really get a sense of tourism and Philly history being a lot of Benjamin Franklin, William Penn, George Washington, just to name a few. I really wanted to shed light on some of the really amazing women that have formed Philadelphia and to give people an opportunity to learn about people that they might not hear about in a typical Philadelphia tour. This tour company seems so cool. First of all, they're calling this tour the Badass Women's History Tour. Hopefully I can <laughs> well, say that on, on this podcast. It's the internet. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it would be Sabrina would be the first one to drop one of those words on this on I this am podcast. just saying a title, you guys. Um, the tour includes such people as Hannah Callahill-Penn, who was married to William Penn. She actually ran the province of Pennsylvania after William Penn suffered strokes and then later after he died. Did not know that. Ona Judge, who was enslaved by the Washington family when he lived at the president's house in Philadelphia. She later escaped and lived as a fugitive slave. A whole bunch of others. There's LGBTQ leaders, women in arts and medicine throughout history. I think that's so cool. And now, you know, I've looked up these these two women that I just mentioned after seeing their names on this list. And now I really want to know more. This reminds me of the sisterhood sit-in tour, that mm-hmm. the trolley tour that Raquel Williams covered a few weeks ago during Black History Month. I think these tours are awesome. I can't remember these sorts of tours being in the city pre-pandemic. The only tours that I can remember seeing are the people who pedal around on those booze bikes, the big <laughs> booze pedaling adventures where you stop and go from bar to bar. I think these are much more productive and hopefully <laughs> useful types of tours. You could also have a, awesome. We could have a potential crossover with that type of tour along with the tours of the, hey. I mean if you really want to if you really want to have that sort of fun with it it is interesting hearing the name Callow Hill. I'm guessing that's the namesake of the street here in Philadelphia, Callow Hill Street, which is not that far from here as well. 
we're, we learn so much about history, not just during Women's History Month, during Black History Month, which, by the way, the 28 days of Black History Month came to an end yesterday with word that small minority-owned businesses in the city are going to be getting federal aid to help build back from this pandemic through what is called the Community Navigator Program. And the aforementioned Raquel Williams was at a meeting of business owners this week to discuss what they need. And she spoke with the National Urban League president and CEO, Mark Morial. The environment that the pandemic created, where many, many black small businesses closed their doors permanently, some temporarily, it's about giving them an opportunity to stand back up and grow once again. This is building on President Biden's American Rescue Plan. The Philadelphia Urban League is one of 25 groups across the country that are participating. So, you know, I mean, there's nothing to say, but this is a great thing and these businesses really need this. What stood out to me about this story is not just that resources will be made available to these businesses, but the types of resources. Because in reading through the article, there are some business leaders in minority communities who are talking about, yes, money, tangible things help. But you guys know this. In any type of relationship, if you want to advance, succeed, you need the intangible stuff, the connections, the meetings. You need to be in the room where it happens. I can't believe I made that reference now for the second time in (laughs) a week here on the podcast. But it's intangible stuff like that. And that's one of the things that is the focus of this initiative is to try and not only get these businesses resources, but resources that will help them network and put them in touch with other people who can then in turn help their business grow and thrive. We're reaching a point now where at least we're starting to get onto the other side little by little of this pandemic, where now it's not just simply trying to avoid the infection and keeping the numbers down. It's also kind of fixing a lot of the collateral damage. Yeah, guys, and one quick thing that I saw today about COVID, and this uh, hopefully does not sound like I am raining on any mask optionals or no mask needed parades. Um, But there was some information that came out in a report released by the New York State Department of Health that the effectiveness of Pfizer shots in kids ages 5 to 11 did not hold up that well. It apparently dropped amidst the Omicron wave from 68% effectiveness to just 12% effectiveness after the first full month of vaccination. Again, this is from data in New York State. And protection against hospitalization for that age group, 5 to 11, also dropped from 100% very beginning of the vaccination trials in December to only 48% by the end of January. So again, this is coming with the backdrop of schools across the country, especially here in and around the Philadelphia area, adopting and changing their masking policy according to different guidances. But this information, (laughs) as a parent, I would have liked it to be a little bit more rosy. I think it's important to note According to the New York Times, there could be a uh, significant margin of error in those hospitalizations because so few kids have been hospitalized. So that's, you know, something to to take it all in in stride. We also saw some not so great results in the Pfizer trials for kids ages two to four. So that's unfortunate. Might take a little longer than we had hoped for that. Bottom line, you know, these vaccines are stronger against severe disease than against infection. That's still really, really important to get vaccinated against that severe disease. Kids get sick all the time, and I'm not saying that that's just okay, but kids often have the resilience to back, to bounce back, and vaccines do help with that. We're going to keep researching and figuring out how to make it even better. And I would also say that any percentage— is better than no percentage. <laughs> it's Correct. as far as we all, you know, the big holistic thing of just trying to get this world back on track. I would say any percentage is better than no percentage. You'd still rather you'd still rather get vaccinated and and 
roll the proverbial dice than not get vaccinated and just be wide open to infection and things could get a whole lot worse. COVID data seems to change a whole lot. But Sabrina, the one thing I don't think that ever is going to change is Monopoly, which is still like my favorite board game. Really, Jay? Really? I am a Monopoly guy. Monopoly is probably my least favorite board game. Really? It takes forever. And there is a version of it for every place, everything (laughs) in the world. When is it going to stop? Now, they're making a mainline Monopoly game. I don't know. If you live on the mainline, maybe that's cool. But to me, I'm kind of just like... I'm still not going to play it. It's still Monopoly. <laughs> I, who would have Who would have thought that Monopoly was the thing that would get that? <laughs> I have never heard a single person in the world say Monopoly is their favorite game, actually, except for you. I like Monopoly. I, okay. I, it's it's okay. great for it, it's great for certain references. I'll make all sorts of references, such as don't pass go, don't collect two hundred dollars. True, the, true. Go directly to jail. I've still never no, I've never understood the free parking thing, but I know yeah. that that still is one that had never really made a whole lot of sense to me. But I. I I wonder if there will be a free parking space in Mainline Monopoly, because I don't think that really jives. <laughs> That's like the it'll be the first free parking space that actually you have to pay money. Now, I know the original Monopoly is based on Atlantic City. Now we've got Mainline, where I guess Villanova is going to be a part of this thing, too. And Hadas Kuznets had took a second to speak with Dennis Gavigan, a Northeast marketing executive for Top Trumps USA, a company that works with Hasbro to make these different versions of Monopoly. And we're reaching out to local businesses, whether it be a museum, a university, a sports team, or an outdoor venue, you know, things of that nature, and trying to get the most representation possible of mainline Monopoly. We anticipate this game to be in stores for the next, you know, 50 plus years. So, (laughs) and I I just want to qualify this by saying, love the mainline, love the people out there, a lot of stores, great place, great part of the city. Like, what's the market for this game beyond Suburban Square. Like, you're going to go to your game shop in Suburban Square and buy it there. Like, where where are you going to sell this? Maybe some people will buy it if you put it in stores out in King of Prussia, different spots along the main line. But for, I guess I'm just kind of surprised that for the amount it might take to produce such a specialized board game that they feel like there might be some demand for it. I feel like this is very (laughs) niche It is. Well, they are looking for feedback from local people. They're they're reaching out to businesses who might want to be involved. There is an advertising fee, and maybe that's how they're making their money because the businesses have to pay an advertising fee to be on this board. So, hmm. But if you have an opinion, if you have a place that you really think should be on there, email mainline at toptrumps.com. Gladwin, speak up. Villanova, let us hear from you. Radner. Hello, where you at? Ardmore, <laughs> get at your boy. You all can show up on this new version of Monopoly, which, I mean, hey, there, there's a market for it somewhere. Somebody had Small to, market, somebody had to sure. at some point said, you know what the world is missing. You know what the game's missing right now. Lancaster Avenue is one of the blue properties on Monopoly. We've had a lot of fun with this, but coming up after this, we're going to be talking about the situation in Ukraine. And KWW's Tim Jimenez spoke with a couple of local members of the Ukrainian-Russian community here to find out how they're dealing with this conflict right now that's going on half a world away. We'll be back with that conversation in a moment. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. I'm Brian. And as we've sat down to tape this episode, Kiev is currently under attack, and the footage and images are just simply heartbreaking. 
even seeing reports from the Associated Press that a TV tower was hit by Russian attacks and that's killed five people. Russia's warning residents of Ukraine's capital to leave. It's just a scary scene out there right now. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw the satellite images of what was reported to be a 40-mile-long Russian convoy making its way into Kiev. I mentioned earlier at the top the video footage of the translator at the UN translating one of President Zelensky's speeches. Yeah, it's gut-wrenching. It's really awful. You know, we hear so much about people who are trying to get in touch with their families in Ukraine and Ukrainians who are trying to get out of the country. It makes me think of my husband's family. They're from Czechoslovakia, the area that's now Slovakia. His parents escaped when they were under Soviet rule and they weren't under attack. So, yes, of course, it's a little bit different. But I think there's a common understanding in that Eastern European area of just how intimidating Russia can be and powerful. And maybe that's part of why people who are from that area really come together for this and are really supporting Ukraine as much as they can. Now, closer to home, if you head up to the Northeast, you'll find the backbone of Philadelphia's Ukrainian population. And you'll also find plenty of other communities with Eastern European roots as well. And our Tim Jimenez spent some time in that part of the city yesterday, and he joins us now. Tim, tell us, when you went up to the great Northeast, where did you visit and who did you talk with? Yeah, I went over to the Bustleton section of the city uh, in the Northeast, the Russian-Ukrainian influence there. It's clear as day if you, for those who have never been there. You have shopping centers on both sides of Bustleton Avenue. One side is Petrovsky Market a store to get a Russian entertainment, and they also have a clothing store and a kosher supermarket. The other side of that street there is a strip mall where the New World Association offices are. I talked to the executive director, Marina Livkovska, and education director over there, Irina Sapiro. Their organization helps a lot of Ukrainian immigrants, those who are here from Russia as well as refugees. What this organization does is help them kind of assimilate here in the United States with education and things like that. So uh, they've seen it all in terms of uh, the people who are from those countries. You know, of course, they themselves are Ukrainian and they have family and friends over in Ukraine. So this has been a really, really difficult and very emotional week. Oh, I can only imagine. What is the general mood there? How are they coping with this? A uh, really somber mood. I uh, came in yesterday into their offices. You know, they're extremely pleasant uh, to talk to and wonderful people. But of course, uh, a lot on their minds. And Marina, when I, before I even got there on the phone, she says, I've had sleepless nights. It's been so difficult. Just the pain to see what is going to happen to one of the most beautiful cities in the world. We do not think it's a fair war. No war is fair. And we consider this action of uh, Putin, I would not say Russia, but Putin, as aggression as invasion, brutal invasion to the sovereign country. It's been a challenge to kind of bounce back from their contacting their family members and friends who are over in Ukraine, while also doing the daily work that they're supposed to do. And also what, what they want to do here is also figure out a campaign, a way to, to collect clothes, to collect medical supplies, to get that stuff over to Ukraine because of the people who are displaced over there. It just sounds like regardless of uh, country of origin, Tim, these Eastern European communities here in the Philadelphia area are by and large in support of peace. They are not in favor of this war. Is that how you see this? Yeah, that's the way that uh, Irina and Marina made it a point to, to talk to me about 
to emphasize that point, Jay, and I asked Marina directly, I said, is there some kind of tension between, let's say, if you're Ukrainian here and you're Russian here? And she flat out said, no, that is not the case. Uh, They see what's going on. And in many of these cases, these are people who have fled Russia for various reasons because they're scared for their lives. They don't like what's going on there. So they fled to the United States for those reasons. So they know what's going on. We are all Russians here. Okay, for all Americans, they call us Russians, and it doesn't matter to them if we are from um, Russia, Ukraine, Belarusia, and uh, Georgia, and Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Lithuania, Litva. We are all uh, Russians here. Tim, it sounds like that for many of the immigrants who are seeking help from New World, the situation these are people, right, who risked their lives to get here to the United States. What did Marina and Irina tell you about the type of situations these immigrants are looking to escape? What's their hope for coming here? It's stuff that, you know, that's still going on that I think we don't think about in this country in terms of political prosecution type of deal or or religious, the, the ability to, you know, practice religion that you choose to. That's what they mentioned to me, that that uh, the people who have fled Russia are, are escaping uh, the fact that they weren't free uh, to do certain things, to worship a certain way, for example, or, or people seeking political asylum here because they're afraid for their lives over there. That stuff is still going on. Again, I don't think in this country we think about it too much because those aren't the circumstances that we live under. Now, Tim, I know, like many other of the local Ukrainians, that we've spoken with over the last few weeks, both Arena and Marina, they have so much pride in their homeland. I know that Arena, she was very open with you about how everyone is seemingly against what's going on out there right now. I do not see anybody who is uh, indifferent to this situation. So everybody, so people who live uh, near me, my neighbors who are from Russia, from Ukraine, from uh, Belarus, so they are all uh, very, very disappointed in this kind of situation. They are all angry at Putin. So not Russia. They think that it's not the Russian people's will. So this is the will of this crazy dictator. How difficult is this for them and other Ukrainians, and it sounds like even other Russians, to watch from afar? Yeah, very difficult because they have family members and relatives, family members and friends who are still there. And one of the things I asked them was, you know, are the lines of communication okay? Can you still get through? Yeah, that's so far. And they hope this is, continues to be the case, but they can continue to contact their relatives over there and friends uh, using uh, WhatsApp, using Viber, using Messenger. So they're using these apps to still stay, get a hold of these people who they who they really love and care for over in Ukraine. So it's difficult because they have to worry about that constantly, you know, what, what's going on in their lives over there overseas. And then do the work here, do the, the regular types of work that the organization has been doing for quite some time. And then also try to figure out a way to maybe collect some clothes and medical supplies. I cannot, you know, stay uh, quiet. Uh, I am a person of actions and <laughs> I would like to know what I can do. And I'm very happy that today Ukrainian Self-Reliance uh, Credit Union accepts money that we can transfer from our accounts and to help uh, Ukraine through different fundings. One thing Marina did mention to me as well is she donated money to the Ukrainian government to help in this this fight, which is fascinating to me, you know, how much pride these people have uh, in, in, in their country and how much they're willing to actually sacrifice themselves in terms of financials to help the Ukrainian people. I guess when we talk about them, 
what do they feel or how fearful are they with all this right now? Fearful is a good word for it, Jay. Yeah, because of the uncertainty, because of, as they've put it, uh, their own words, and this is, of course, going around is in terms of describing Putin as a madman, you know, that type of thing. So they're fearful of what he could possibly do. And they also mentioned, you know, how the free world, the West has to stop this because what could be next if, let's say, Ukraine does fall to Russia, what happens after that? As she mentioned Poland, she mentioned Finland, she mentioned different countries up there. That's a fear for them that uh, if this does escalate even further, uh, what other countries, you know, what kind of path here could Putin be on? Tim, did you get a sense of what they think of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky? I mean, he's obviously a compelling figure simply based upon what he's leading the country through right now, but also his backstory and how he ended up in a position of power. Is he someone who Ukrainians here, they're taking their cues and lead from? Or are they drawing inspiration from him? Yeah, Brian, and, and Marina mentioned that specifically of him, of Zelensky staying there in his country. And, you know, he has himself mentioned that he is he is the prime target over there and he's still there. And they, they and Marina especially talked about how proud she was that, that he was doing that. The president of Ukraine, he is also a Jew, as three of us here. And um, I... I'm very happy to see him so brave not to flee the country, to stay with the people, and uh, it is very important. As she mentioned, uh, the president of Ukraine is Jewish. Uh, they're Jewish as well. They're very proud of that, and, and they take the claim of Nazism from Russia, from Putin particularly, from Putin. They take that so seriously, and that, that just hurts them so much. If you were born in Ukraine, doesn't it matter where you born, Russian, Ukrainian, Belarusian, Polish, Jewish, you have a spirit of freedom from your first days in this country because Ukrainians were always friendly with each other and with other people. We, we never had this international <laughs> conflicts like, you know, this ethnic conflicts. We were the families who lived together, who uh, sang Ukrainian songs together. So Ukraine is a wonderful country, very hardworking people, uh, but don't touch their freedom. I think that's probably the best way to end this. Tim Jimenez, who's been covering the angle of some local Ukrainians and kind of the fear they're feeling right now. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Johncast. Great to be on. Thank you, Jay. You can find Tim on Twitter at Tim J Radio. Of course, you can find all his work on kwnewsradio.com. That's all for today. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina boyd Circa. I'm Ryan Seltzer. We thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. We'll be back on Wednesday.